I love the notion. Like I know that if I had nothing to do with the show at all and I was watching something where like they used real IP addresses and URLs and if I if I went down that rabbit hole, I would find some other nugget of information that, that tells me something about the story. I think that'd be awesome. I love that idea. Hello, friend. You're listening to Decrypted, Ars Technica's Mr. Robot podcast. This week, we've got the guest we've been waiting for all season long, Mr. Robot staff writer and head technical writer, Cor Adana. Ars Technica's Nathan Matice here. Thanks for tuning in to Decrypted. While last week's episode, Handshake, may have had the season's most headline-grabbing reveal, this week's successor was just as interesting. This is some traumatizing shit, you know that? It was the first episode that did not feature Elliot for one second on screen. We had a lot of movement in the plot, especially in terms of what was going on with F-Society and Darlene, and we still have all those giant lingering questions hanging over the season. While we will address a little bit of that, this week we had too good of an opportunity to pass up. Mr. Robot staff writer and head technical writer Cor Adana finally had a little bit of time to chat with us about the season so far. He caught our eye in that preseason documentary USA aired where Adana was shown speaking about how the show constructs attacks and the bevy of consultants he enlists to make sure every technical detail is right. And Adana himself is an expert in all these matters. He still does a lot of first-hand pen testing and hack feasibility testing, but he has a previous career in cybersecurity at the suggestion of his parents, as we found out. So that's enough for me. Let's hear from the man that critics have called Mr. Robot's Mr. Robot. As a brief programming note, this interview was recorded in my kitchen as I was packing my house and prepping for a move. I've done my best to clean up the audio quality, but apologies that we didn't have our normal setup this week. Hey, Cord, Nathan Matzeis, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you, Nathan? I'm doing pretty well. You know, thanks for taking some time out of your busy schedule. It's really awesome to talk to you today. No, thanks for having me. I've been listening to your show, and so I'm glad to be on it. I think this will be fun. That is extremely <laughs> humbling. I have been watching your show, and I think it's been a really fun ride to kind of follow season two so closely. In season one, I really enjoyed it, but I didn't dig into the subreddits and all of the analysis as much. And now this season, I am totally on the subreddit every day and kind of following all the show's news. And it's been, yeah. it's been really cool to dive into that world. We've been following into the, the Easter eggs, too, because we've kind of expanded that world a lot in season two. Like, I did it a little bit in season one, but we, we were going crazy with it in season two. I, I mean, I don't know how you can't, because the, the <laughs> crowd has such an appetite for it, and I also feel like they're really perceptive. I, I think I do an okay job for an average TV watcher of trying to pick up things, and I watch each episode probably twice, but I'm really impressed with what people find. I am beyond impressed, and it feels like my job is now to outsmart like <laughs> this hive of geniuses out there who are analyzing every single you know website and, and the source code of everything and every single uh, frame of our show. It's 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 very taxing. <laughs> well, I thought you got out of cybersecurity, but it sounds like you're still in that type of arms race. I know, which is right? Cool. <laughs> well, I've got a I got a couple questions. I want to start with this week's episode. I know that you stress whenever a big hack is portrayed on screen, but you're also a writer on the show, and I would imagine anytime the show does something that is very, uh, let's say, narratively ambitious, that's also a big stressor to see how it's going to be accepted and reacted to out in the world. 
So when you put out an episode where, you know, maybe unthinkable a year ago, Elliot is not even shown on screen, how does that make you feel in terms of your nerves and anticipation versus, you know, when you're putting out some of these big technical hacks? I mean, I had a lot of anxiety, and I know the other writers in the room had a lot of anxiety uh, about this decision because we weren't sure how it was going to be received. And, you know, the question was, did we do enough work early in season two? Did we lay the groundwork for our supporting cast so they could carry an episode? And if we made uh, an episode filled with tension and stakes and dramatic turns and we really, you know, dug deep into the Susan Jacobs storyline and, and, and came up with something compelling and intriguing. Is it okay that we it's VO? Is it okay that we're out of Elliot's perspective? Is it okay that, um, you know, we don't see Elliot at all yet? We see F, other members of F Society hacking. And, and we, we, we tested this out a little bit, even with the FBI hack, because, mm-hmm. yeah, Elliot coded, Elliot coded it. But, you know, the ones who actually executed it are the rest, the rest of the members of F Society plus Angela. So that was kind of a... a uh, a test of that. And that, that actually worked. And I, I felt that that was really well received. So I, I was still really stressed out about this because I, we've never done anything like this. The closest we came was in episode seven of last season, where I think you see a little bit of Elliot in the beginning. And then it's mostly like an Angela Colby storyline. And then uh, and then you see Tyrell and Sharon Knowles in the climax of that episode. And then you have Elliot, like a really good Elliot monologue at the end. But uh but still, we've never done it without Elliot completely. So, you know, it was it was a it was a good test to see like, did we flesh out these characters enough? Did we grow and evolve them to a point where you could empathize and root with them, root for them, and and follow you know a dramatic story with high stakes and and be invested? Because I know everyone was expecting this week to get the answer to the questions totally. to get the answer to the questions that we posed last week, and. I know that no one got those answers and so they got something else. And from what I've read so far, it's been received pretty well. So I feel much better about it today than I did yesterday. But <laughs> to answer your original question, uh, you know, from, from a writer's standpoint, I was really stressed out about it. Uh, let me add to the chorus of people who really enjoyed last night's episode. I don't even think I realized Elliot wasn't in it until I was thinking <laughs> about the episode, you know, 15 or 20 minutes after the fact. Because what I guess people might consider secondary characters originally are now as interesting, if not more interesting. I think one of the running jokes around the Ars Technica Slack is people think Angela is really the main character, the most interesting person on the show. Uh, And so an episode like last night speaks to what you were saying. The cast as a whole is really strong and has really rounded out. Elliot is still very compelling, but you can do an hour like this where maybe do you think you could have done an hour like this last year? I don't think we could have because honestly, uh, last year was so Elliot focused. And I mean, I think a, a criticism of last season from from what I've read is that we didn't spend enough time to flesh out the, the supporting cast and flesh out the world. It was so focused on Elliot's perspective and Elliot's journey. And we did take that to a, a new level in, in, in season two. But it, it it's one of isolation, obviously, because he, he ends up, you know, the big reveal or one of the reveals ends up being that he's in prison. So I, I think that it speaks to our goals of really fleshing out the world and expanding the world in a way where we don't need to be in Elliot's head all the time and be in his POV all the time, and the show still works. And I think you see that in other really successful shows and ensemble shows. Um, you know, I think Game of Thrones does a great job of it as well, where they can go a couple episodes without even seeing, you know, checking in with a character. Uh, and I, I think that 
you know, I think we took a swing at it and uh, hopefully it worked. I, I'm, I'm glad that, that you, that I'm glad that you enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah. I, oh, it was awesome. And, you know, to speak to what you said, the comparison to Game of Thrones, you know, that show, you need a map to follow all the characters. Uh, and I think if you're perceptive and you're making those similar notes in Mr. Robot, you're rewarded for it. Cause we saw, for instance, <laughs> I, I only know this character exists because I talked to Andre McGregor earlier this year, but FBI mm-hmm. Andre comes back and he's, immediately woven into the plot you know it wasn't an accident that we saw him earlier in the season well let me tell you one thing nothing is an accident on this show (laughs) (laughs) so you know if you see a character come up if you see background characters like even i I would keep an eye on extras there is nothing that's an accident on this show so i mean that's what i love about it but you know people might have just glossed over this fbi guy thinking it was a random thing, but, you know, you can't forget those things on Mr. Robot. So I think that really is a testament to how you guys build your characters and keep track of everything. That's awesome. And I'm glad. So, so are you saying that if had you, had you not spoken to Andre, you wouldn't have remembered him? It's possible. I mean, granted, he has a pretty big introduction because I think the first time you see him, he's in Angel's apartment. And that's where you see how she's struggling with her own confidence. Yeah, he picks her up at the bar first and then they, they end up at home in, in, uh, in Angela's apartment. It's uh, it's just an interesting story about that, just a little tidbit. So for season one, um, my consulting team was much smaller than it is for season two. And actually, Andre was, wasn't a part of it for season one. But we ha- um, there was another colleague of mine named James Pluff, who's also consultant <laughs> on, on this season as well. And I decided to, to put his name in the show. And he's the character. He's the reporter at the end of season one who you know commits suicide on live television. And he was like, I don't know if I should be flattered or if I should be angry that you killed me off that way. And I'm like, hey, man, your name is in the show. (laughs) And then so when Andre came on board and joined the team, you know, after a month or two, he's like, hey, Cork, can I be on the show, too? Can you get my name in there? And I'm like, yeah, sure. And he's like, what am I going to do? Can I play like an FBI guy? I'm like, I don't know. We have this thing going on with with Angela. Would that be something that interests you? He's like, yes, yes, definitely. So I'm, I'm glad that worked out. And I think this might be a running thing we'll do every season. We'll just try and see some, a consultant's name in there and put them in a, and have them get, have, have something terrible happen to them, like death or the girl that you're courting leaves you for, for an old dude. Right. Yeah. He didn't die, but it didn't end well for him. No, it didn't end well at all. And when I was talking to Andre recently, he I think actually it was maybe during a webinar he did for Tanium. And he said out of all the clients he works with, he feels like you are among the most demanding because, you know, you can call with such a variety of different situations you want insight on and the call can come at any time of day. So can you yeah. can you talk a little <laughs> bit about, you know, I, I assume we see Andre's fingerprint on an episode like this week's where we're talking about how government surveillance and FBI responses. Can you talk a little bit about his presence this season? Definitely. I think for the Dom FBI storyline, we leaned on Andre for a lot of FBI protocol, FBI lingo and processes, uh, processes and procedures. And it's something that I would check in with him during the writing phase and during the production phase when we're executing these scenes. I would check in with him at, you know, I I don't get much sleep while we're in production. (laughs) So I will text him at two or three in the morning asking him some random question about an FBI procedure or what would be the you know, what would be the right word to use or the right term to use for this situation? And, um, you know, Dom's title, Santiago's title, um, you know, the scenes that we have in the FBI field office, like what would what would the screens look like and what would 
you know, what would the signs on the door look like? What would the interrogation room look like? So I would, I definitely do bother him. And all, it's not just Andre. I do this to everyone, all of my consultants. Uh, if you speak to any of them, I bother them, I bother them at, you know, wee hours of the night, <laughs> four in the morning conversations. But it's important because we're on a, we're on a really strict time schedule. And I usually, the reason that I'm asking these questions is because, you know, there's a problem or a change that needs to be addressed immediately because we're about to shoot or needs to be addressed immediately because an episode's about to air or we have to fix a line of dialogue. I mean, there's the stakes are always really high in terms of, you know, creating the show. So, you know, I know these other guys, they have day jobs and this is kind of uh, like a side gig for them. But for me, this is, you know, I eat, sleep and breathe this. Yeah. So I'm doing this nonstop. And, you know, if a problem arises and if I can't find the answer or if I know it's going to take me a couple hours of research to find the answer and I can just call Andre or call Ryan or call James, I will do that. I will bother all of them. <laughs> so I get like there's sometimes where I'm in an emergency and I will send emails, leave voicemails and send texts to every single person on my consulting team. And whoever responds to me first, like that's just great because then I can move, move on and move on to the next problem. <laughs> Well, I, I want to. I got two follow-ups for you based on that stuff. In particular, with Andre, uh, you know, I know you come from a cybersecurity background, but when it comes to this season, the government angle and perspective that we're seeing seems to be much more in depth than season one. Was that kind of a real stressor for you, or something you were nervous about going into the season? And I assume that's a big reason you brought on someone like Andre. I wasn't nervous about it. it. It became clear that when we were breaking season two that the government response was going to be uh, a huge part uh, of this story. And, um, you know, even, even with the things going on in in the news with, you know, the FBI and, and Apple encryption debate, because that, 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 that story was really hot while we were in the writer's room, too. So we were we were thinking of ways of how we could incorporate that kind of paranoia, that level of paranoia into the story and really talk about and open it, open up that dialogue about surveillance. So when we brought on Andre, it was, it was a breath of fresh air because here's someone who had experience with, you know, who had real real life work experience with these issues and could bring that level of perspective to us. And we talked to him for hours about surveillance and counter surveillance and what would be, what would be a legal way of, you know, an FBI squad implementing this kind of surveillance plan, what would be the illegal way, what would be the repercussions of that. And a major theme of this season are consequences and repercussions. You see F Society taking risks and then paying for them. And obviously you have the FBI taking risks and now they're the victims of this uh, data dump that was released or this F Society video that was released in, in last episode. So we really leaned on him for, for those details. And, and he brought a lot of insight and, you know, I think I think he even he even scheduled a tour for us. We all we all went to the New York FBI field office and we got to, you know, see exactly what what the setting would look like and we got to meet a bunch of his old colleagues in that office and it was cool like we walked into one of these rooms and I saw a box of evidence that said <laughs> uh there was like a bunch of hard drives inside and there was a label that said Ross Albrecht. Wow. And wow. Like is that is that real? And the guy goes, "Yep." I'm like, cool. <laughs> Let's see if we can incorporate something like that. Um, <laughs> but we were already we were already talking about the whole Silk Road reference earlier. But that that was just 
a sign that, you know, we're, we're headed in the right direction. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think, I don't think we could have done this storyline this season without Andre. I think it would have been impossible. Definitely. <laughs> I know he had told me that the ransomware that kind of opened the season was something that came up last minute because the original hack you wanted to do, you know, was not feasible for a couple of reasons. Is that something you find yourself dealing with more often than not? You know, you talk about having to make those calls late in the day. Are you guys having to work on really tight turnarounds because something didn't work during your pen testing or during your research phase? All the time, all the time. And it's it's maddening because <laughs> we'll, we'll brainstorm ahead of time and we'll say, all right, this hack fits for this this storyline. We can put this in this episode, and it'll make sense. Well, and, and, that, and just to butt in, you guys are not amateurs about hacking. You know, you're attending all the big security conferences. You've got people from all the big infosec and security fields who are working out in professional, you know, analysis. So it's not like you're coming up with these super magical hacks that wouldn't be feasible. I assume you're starting with a healthy dose of reality. No, we're starting with a healthy dose, dose of reality, but but the 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 reality of the situation is we may have not done, we may have never executed the hack in the way that we're trying to portray it in the show, but we know that it's feasible. We know that we can get there, but we may have not have we may we, we may have not had the experience of actually doing it. So when we're in the brainstorming phase, or we're, when we're in the writing phase, and we decide on a hack, and it ends up in the script, it's a broad strokes, you know, maybe five lines of action in the script. And it doesn't do a deep dive, you know, detailed explanation of what goes on. That doesn't happen until we're in production. And once we're in production, that's when we're really down to the wire because we only have, you know, X amount of days before we need to get the animation built. And then we have about, we have X amount of days before we need to shoot that animation, you know, with our actors. So everything needs to be perfect. And that's like really where I stress out <laughs> because I need to make sure like that's where we do the deep dive of. What does the screen actually look like? What exactly is Elliot going to be typing? What is What are the responses? So once we actually walk through it, and this is what happened with the ransomware attack, and this has happened a couple other times where, you know, something was pitched and agreed upon. And then once we tried to execute it, we realized that it wasn't really feasible or, it, it you know, it took us in a bunch of other directions or or it, you know, ended up being a lot more complicated than we at, we at first anticipated. Mm -hmm. And then we make the decision right there, like, all right, we either decide to show maybe like a 10th of this hack <laughs> and like, you know, maybe, uh, you know, we only limit it to like a couple steps or we change the hack completely, which would in turn change the story, change the script, change the dialogue. Yeah. And that's what happened with the ransomware attack. Luckily, the target was still the same. It was always going to be Bank of E. We knew that Mobley was going to be the, the person who initiated the hack. And what really needed to change were the technical specifics and the result. The ransomware ended up being a much cleaner alternative. And I know that that was a crazy, I think it was a crazy 48 hours. Actually, it was about a crazy week leading up to that. But I think it worked out better. And I, I think you, I think Andres told you before, whatever our original idea was, something that we're going to try and, and pull off in a later season probably. But, you know, it just didn't fit for that. And hopefully it'll fit for another story. But this 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 constantly happens. I mean, <laughs> it, it, it's, 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 it's very stressful. <laughs> I mean, are you guys uh, – this is perhaps a naive question because I know some of the times when you're doing your research, it's, it's watching – people perform these exploits in videos or reading the research that's out there. But when you're doing your own, you know, pen testing and physically trying to test the feasibility of the hack, are you guys just making like some poor NBC Universal interns computer a nightmare for them for the, you know, 24 hours? Because you really do 
one, a, a super wide variety of types of hacks, but you also have a super wide variety of types of targets on the show. And, you know, it blows my mind if you're able to replicate that to test feasibility. We, when I can't speak for the rest of the members of the consulting team, because when they test their hacks, I don't really know what their, <laughs> what their testing protocol is or what their procedures are. I usually do all my testing so it doesn't affect anyone else. And if I need to get a burner phone and test something out, or if I need to load a, load a, you know another instance of you know a different operating system in a VM, I'll do that and I'll do that testing myself. And as long as I can get the accurate um, screen content that I'm after, that then then I'm good. And it, it's something that um, I think it's different for all of us. I know that. Mark has his own his own way of testing and, and his own his own protocol. And I know Ryan and Andre have, have their deals. So when we actually get to the nitty gritty of of execution, it's me telling them what what is needed and then them sending me back screenshots and or video or me coming up with the screenshots and, and video by myself. And then we have a dialogue of, OK, what do I need to change to fit? Darlene's laptop or Mobley's laptop or Elliot's computer that he's on like how does how do the prompts need to change? How do the IP addresses need to change? How does the look of the distro of Linux that we're using need to change because people who are testing these the consultants who are testing these are not always doing it in the same flavor of Linux that Elliot may be using. So the screens look different. Um, how do we date this back to something that is feasible for 2015? Since our, yep. since in our story timeline, we're in the summer of 2015 and we can't really reference or use tools that were made or released after that. So it's, um, it's a rigorous process. I mean, I, uh, there have been hacks that you've seen in season two and some that you haven't seen that have taken probably a couple months of discussion and then probably three to four weeks straight of testing, like pen testing and, and, and coming up with that content. And then another four weeks of me working with the animator Man. to the animation. And then another week of like fixing any mistakes that we did in the animation uh, and reshooting. And like by, by the end of it, you have a, something that's on screen for probably a couple seconds that's probably taken three to four months of work. And, uh, you know, you say all that and it is a daunting task, but then I feel like people forget you're also just a member of the writer's room and you're thinking about narrative and working in on that show aspect no, as well. At the, same, <laughs> at the same time, I'm pitching story and coming up with, you know, character conflict, character motivation. And, you know, also I, I have a script this season too. So I'm also writing a <laughs> script. It's, it's, uh, when I say it's nonstop, that's what I like, you know, it's, the most like four and a half hours of sleep a night from October until now. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, any one of those roles is a full-time job. A hundred percent. Yeah, <laughs> actually. And then this whole Easter egg business has turned into a, a, a huge <laughs> undertaking as well. Just the notion of there being an evil corp and a conglomerate that's in charge of 70% of the world's consumer debt is a big pill to swallow. Right. Mm -hmm. So the way I see it is anything that we can do to ground the show in reality um, with ever, all the other tools at our disposal, uh, all the other tools at our disposal, and and the way that we convey the technology and the hacks, and uh, the more interactive we can make it, the way more we can make the world feel real, the better it is for the show, and 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 the easier it is for us to sell that version of reality. Um, that's why I think the Easter eggs are important because it introduces that level of interactivity that I think a lot of hackers and people in the infosec community really. Uh, really long for they can actually hit these addresses and they can actually walk through these hacks and find easter eggs and codes that lead them somewhere else and in a way they're actually hacking the show 
which is something that's never really been done before. I think that that's why we're, we've had a pretty good response on that end for the season. I, I don't see that. I, I, hopefully we can keep doing that because I'm, I'm, that's something else that's really exciting to me. You make a lot of people's weeks when you guys throw up some screen with code on it and people can then go dig in. I personally do not have the time necessary to look into it, <laughs> but I love looking at the Reddit threads with all those screenshots where people do find interesting thing in, you know, sites USA has put up for the show or anything along those lines. As smart as they are, as smart as they are, they have not found everything yet. <laughs> so I urge them to go back and take a look at some of those screens. There's something from Colonel Panic that hasn't been solved yet, and I'm really surprised about that because I thought someone would figure it out by now. I will I will um, tell you, I put... It's exciting for me, too. On Reddit, I put I, up that I was talking to you, and somebody asked about that specifically. I know, I saw, I stalked Reddit, <laughs> and I, I saw your post. <laughs> so you're, I mean, I really love and appreciate and admire how much you engage with that because it does make it really, really fun. I mean, it's the closest thing to a choose your own adventure that you can have watching television. Yeah, I mean, I, honestly, like I'm trying to contribute in a way to make the show that I've always wanted to see. And I've always wanted a really compelling hacker show with characters that I care about and that I can empathize with that I can relate to and with technology that's realistic, and that I can kind of interact with. And I love the notion, like, I know that if I had nothing to do with the show at all, and I was watching something where, like, they used real IP addresses and URLs, and if I, if I went down that rabbit hole, I would find some other nugget of information that, that tells me something about the story. I think that'd be awesome. I love that idea. <laughs> so, I mean, I was trying to do this in season one a lot, and I got a lot of resistance, and luckily in season two, I'm getting less resistance, so it's it, it's it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of work, but it's it's really satisfying, and I'm I'm so glad that the that the community has embraced this aspect of the show. Yeah. I don't want to keep you too long, but I, let me ask you a couple of you know kind of unrelated questions, things that are not necessarily tangential to what we've been talking about. You were someone who worked in cybersecurity and took a chance to get into Hollywood, and your first show you worked on was not as successful as Mr. Robot. What is it like? Being in this position now, you know, people are putting in interview requests for you, not just the stars of the show, but people love this show's universe, its staff, its crew, its advisors. What does it feel like to be in this position? Did you ever foresee this happening? Not like this. Uh, <laughs> no, this is a, a very surreal experience, and it's crazy. I never, I mean, I was always good with computers and I liked to figure out how things work and I never wanted to pursue that. Like I've all, ever since I was 11 or 12, I knew I wanted to write and direct for film and television. Like that was clear to me. And I, uh, I had to pursue, you know, the IT world because, you know, I had this really contentious discussion with my father <laughs> and he's like, no, you're not going to film school. You're going to get a real degree so you can be self-sufficient and that's it. So I always resented that. And I always knew that even when I was working in cybersecurity for, for the years that I was doing cybersecurity and pen testing, I knew that that wasn't going to be my future because I would, I would spend all my free time writing scripts or going to writing seminars. And I, I tried to distance myself from that world so much. And I never would have guessed that the one thing that I was pushing away and really resenting would be the thing that would help me break out. <laughs> you know? And it's weird how those two worlds just converged when I met Sam and I got on the show and he learned that I have this experience to bring to the table. And now it's this weird, it's this weird mixture of my old career and my old life with, you know, with my new life and I'm, I'm writing scripts yet. I'm still doing more, you know, IT research than I've ever done. And 
in in a weird way, it just it just came back into my life, and I would have never guessed that it would happen in this way. But I I'm excited that we're doing something new and fresh, and it's just a pleasure to be a part of it. I I, I just I I think it's a it's it's a great story. It's 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 a show that I love, and I'm really committed to. And I, I don't think you can do this work if you don't really if you don't really love <laughs> love the story. And, and pour yourself into it, yeah. but it's um it's not something I would have ever guessed. I never guessed it was going to ha- work out quite this way. <laughs> well, I I hope the show continues on, you know, as long as you guys are interested in doing it. But I I presume you're going to have a call from every technical film and television uh, pilot <laughs> for the foreseeable future once Mr. Robot <laughs> is done. So that's pretty cool that you've set yourself up and things are going so well. Yeah, it's uh, it's exciting, man. It's fun. Well, I, I want to ask you two superlative questions about the show so far, if you don't mind. I think you probably get this all the time, but I want to. I'm interested in what your favorite hack has been so far, and I'm interested in you know you talked about your Easter eggs and the fact that you like to read the the Reddit theories and the people trying to to find the Easter eggs. I'm wondering what your favorite either Easter egg you've revealed or you know craziest thing you've seen uh, show up on the Reddit is as well. All right. So favorite hack, and this might be surprising because it's, it's hard for me to pick really a favorite <laughs> hack, but I have a favorite scene that involves a, a, a piece of software. Um, it's at the end of episode eight in season one, where Elliot comes home. He grabs the, he looks through his CD case, grabs that first unlabeled CD, throws it into his machine and it looks like a normal audio CD with CDA tracks. And he runs a steganography tool called Deep Sound to extract these JPEG images um, that were embedded in the CDA tracks. And he finds this slideshow of pictures of a young uh, Edward Alderson, mm-hmm. uh, Mr. Robot, and himself as a child. And I think that that sequence with, I think, the music, the cinematography, Rami's performance, um, showing that animation in its entirety i think that the show was firing on all cylinders in that moment and it's a it's a scene that works on a dramatic and emotional level for me and i don't know if i'm speaking as a writer or as a tech tech producer at this point but i i i love the tech in that scene and i love the emotion in that scene and i know that if i put that on tonight i i would probably still (laughs) hear up uh, it's just such a great reveal for him to realize that you know this 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 person is his father, and even ending with with the robot at the door saying you know we should talk, I I, I or we need to talk I I you know I think that's my favorite scene in the entire, and I mean I guess you could label it as a hack it's not, it's not really a hack but it's a it's a it's, it's perfect a per- blend of technical and dramatic like you were describing I think it totally yeah. counts. Yeah, it's um. It's 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 still my favorite scene. I mean, there have been scenes in this season that have that might compete now to take its place. But uh, let's wait for the season to be over, <laughs> and then I'll let you know what my favorite what my favorite part of season two is. Cool. Oh, about the Reddit. I have an expectation that all my Easter eggs are going to be found. <laughs> so I'm constant. Like I have very high expectations of. Okay, I know that they have high expectations for the show, but I have very high expectations of them. So I'm not really impressed. I I, I expect them to find everything. <laughs> It, it, sometimes if they do it within the next, like within an hour of it airing, that's when I'm like, oh, that, that, that that's impressive. But the one thing that sticks out isn't even from season two. It's from season one. And it's what motivated me to start incorporating Easter eggs. 
his radiator is broken and it's clanking and you hear that sound and it, he's sweating and it gives him the idea to do the climate control hack on uh, the, the offsite data storage because, uh, you know, he, he gets the idea to, to raise the temperature and destroy the tapes. And someone on our subreddit posted this really long explanation and this breakdown of how the sounds from the radiator translated to Morse code and the Morse code <laughs> spit out this other message, which may lead to this IP address that, and he, he came up with this whole, um, I don't this, this really complex code that wasn't even there. That wasn't intended. Um, but he went down, I don't know how long he, how much time he spent on this, but that's when I read that, I thought, okay, now I know, the kind of people that we're dealing with. And I know that I know that this is that, that there is an appetite for this kind of thing. And I wish I could go back and hide some Morse code in, in, into that radiator. <laughs> um, so now I look for every opportunity to do that. So whether it's sounds that translate into JPEG images, whether it's IP addresses, whether it's QR codes or barcodes or numbers or number sets, like these are all things that I I want hidden throughout the show and you know, people have found most of them. They haven't found all of them, but I love every bit of, every time I see a Reddit about a Reddit posting about someone doing, finding it and like they're excited about it and they're excited to the, about the level of detail that we pour into the show. It's extremely satisfying for me. <laughs> it's a lot of fun for me. That is awesome to hear. Um, I, I hope the Colonel Panic people now, you know, take it upon themselves to revisit that and see if they can come up with it. Yeah, man, I'm kind of disappointed in you guys. I think you guys should <laughs> should, should figure this thing out. No, to be fair, though, it is, a, it is a very difficult one. And even when I was talking to the digital marketing people at USA who, who actually helped, helped implement this, we were questioning how long it would take them to solve this. And I said, you know, even if it takes them a year or so, I'm fine with it. I think it's cool. Oh, and it, but... it'll only be a bigger joy when the reveal happens, when somebody finally comes yeah. across it. The digital marketing yeah. people are right to listen to you. <laughs> <laughs> They're great. They're great. Yeah. Well, one last question for you, because I'd be remiss if I didn't ask at least about season two on a whole so far. You know, probably the most exciting bits are still to come. But my understanding of a TV writer's room is the plot kind of reveals itself to you and you can be surprised at what ends up on screen as well. And so I'm wondering, what is the biggest surprise to you about season two so far? You know, some people might point to the, the reveal you had mentioned a week ago, but you guys laid a lot of breadcrumbs, whereas in my mind, you know, I was really surprised we didn't have an, we had an episode without Elliot completely, or, you know, Terrell has spent less time in our focus than White Rose, and you've done a lot of really surprising things if you look at the season as a whole, and I'm wondering what, what has surprised you? Um, a couple of things have surprised me. The, the first thing that pops into my mind is, and I think we, we talked about this earlier, I, I never would have guess that we would have had an, an Elliot free episode. If you had asked me that at the beginning of the writer's room, I would have said, no, there's no way we're having an Elliot free oh, episode. Even at the this beginning is... of the season two writer's room. Even at the beginning of the season two writer's room before we started. Um, but as we started breaking it, it became apparent that we had so much, so many ideas and so much content for our supporting cast. And the way we did it is like, you know, we would break entire season stories for each, each character and their storyline and then find a way to, to kind of uh, thematically tie them together for each of our episodes. So we've we did a lot of moving around and restructuring and clipping and modification at that stage. And we made more decisions like that in 
you know, the shooting stage and even in the editing stage. So I think one one thing that I didn't anticipate that, that's very different from season one is the fact that we blocked we, we, we were block shooting yeah. for season two. So we had all of our we had all the scripts done before we started shooting and we had most of our footage before we started editing. So the fact that we have the ability to still make uh, you know, writer writer decisions and story decisions in post-production and move storylines around and move entire scenes around and move things from episode to episode. Uh, these episodes take a, a, a brand new shape. And for the most part, I, th- I, think we're, I think we're making massive improvements to the story and, and to the season as a whole. So I think that's very, uh, that's very surprising to me. I, would, I wouldn't have guessed that we would have been making these changes up until you know a, a, a day or two before we air, but that's been the case. We've been making major changes, and um, it's just this kind of dynamic situation where you know what what we had written, you know, it's it's not etched in stone. It, it can change up until a day or two before before you air. So it's it's that's been. It's been ex- it's a, it's exciting, but it's also very stressful. <laughs> Keeps you on your toes. You certainly will have to work until the very last episode is you know put to put to digital yeah. tape, so to speak. Um, my only bit of feedback for you, you know, obviously Elliot would read Ars Technica in addition to Business Insider and Gizmodo. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that opens up a whole another conversation. I don't know if you want to get into this, but it's hard for me to clear these these companies like. A, a, Part of my job is is trying to figure out how to clear because I, I want to use real brand names, real companies, real publications, and you know we can't always do that, and especially with the timeline that we that we have. So that's really good to know, and I will take that into consideration. <laughs> I I you know I liken it to I've talked to people who clear, for instance, alcohol brands on Mad Men or something like that, and brands just only sometimes brands only want to be portrayed in a certain way or. Uh, there are other complications, pricing and whatnot. So I, I would imagine that takes up, you know, even even though you already have four or five roles that are all-consuming, that could be another all-consuming one. Yeah, I think I, I it's hard to find a company that wants to be associated in a negative light with an illegal hack. <laughs> so even if it's just a story, it's still it's still a fight for me. One of the many fights that I have in this production, um, it's hard enough to convince everyone around me that the tech is important and that we have to spend time on these little details, you know, and a lot of those discussions end up being with, you know, with clearance coordinators or, or the legal <laughs> department who say, why don't we just do our own thing and make it up? And I'm like, no, I want to use a real, you know, let's use a real website. Let's use a real brand. Let's use a real company. Why don't we just go out and talk to these people? So that's going to be an ongoing struggle moving forward. But ho- hope I'm hoping it gets easier. <laughs> this is good to know. I, I will definitely take this into season three. And know that you're fine with it. So oh, yeah, you certainly have my blessing for what that counts for. <laughs> okay, awesome. It counts for a lot. Yeah. It does. Well, Core, I... That was tremendous. I really appreciate you taking so much time out of your day and indulging me in a little bit of Mr. Robot nerding out. It was a big thrill, and you know, I look forward to seeing how the rest of the season comes along because it's been great so far. Your work is awesome, and I really admire it. Thank you, man, and thanks for having me, and I, I love your, your podcast, and I'm excited to, to hear it. That's it for this week's Decrypted. Thanks this week go out to both the NBC Universal press team and Cora Donna himself for covering out a little bit of time to chat all things Mr. Robot. We also appreciate the folks over at the Audio Network, who, as always, provide the soundtrack to each and every episode of Decrypted. Make sure you're following Decrypted wherever you get your podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, or directly through RSS. If you got questions, comments, or thoughts, 
feel free to reach out to us either through the Ars Technica forums or via email, social at arstechnica.com. Just put Mr. Robot in the subject line. Until next time. What kind of phone do you have? Oh, uh, this, um, yeah, it's, it's a Nexus. Yeah, I'm an Android guy. Uh, paid Apple. Pink iPhones are for pussies. What do you want? iPhone. Right.